Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. Just a note from me, Rhiannon, to say that my new supplements company, Hurrah, is finally here. It's taken years to get this off the ground. Retrition Plus is evidence-based, rooted in science, focused on you, and we offer vitamin D sprays, folic acid spray, and a vegan multivitamin. So head over to retritionplus.com for supplements you can finally trust. Hello, welcome back to series 15 of Food for Thought. Gosh, 15. It's amazing to have a new season and it's full of fascinating episodes and guests, again, who are leading experts in their fields. We spent a long time researching for this series to make sure that we could bring you the best in terms of the latest research in health, nutrition, exercise and more. So I'm Rhiannon Lambert, I'm a registered nutritionist, a Sunday Times bestselling author and founder of the Harley Street Clinic Retrition and the evidence-based supplements Retrition Plus. Over the next 12 weeks, because we've got some wonderful episodes coming up, our guests and I's aim is to expose why so much advice can be misleading and harness you with the truth so we can make informed decisions. We'll be using the proven science to sort fact from fiction and dispel everything that remains confusing in the world of wellness. And there is a lot of it out there now. Thank you so much for your support as ever. I can't believe we're on series 15 and I can't wait to hear what you think about the new season. Now, sweeteners have been hailed as a healthier, low calorie alternative to help with weight loss. Now this, as we know, has a few red flags there in itself. And whilst others believe them to be the cause of certain metabolic diseases, such as diabetes or obesity, even some cancers, Despite limited evidence, which supports both sides of this argument, there's still a lot that we need to discuss. There's a lot that we don't know. The impacts on artificial sweeteners or just sweeteners in themselves and the impact they have on the body. So today's Food for Thought, I'm so excited to share with you such a wonderful discussion that we have had today. We see registered dietitian Dwayne Meller and I uncover the real truth about sweeteners and unearth how much they can impact our health. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, Dwayne. Hello. Hi, it's so nice to have you on Food for Thought again. We were having a lovely chat a moment ago about the world of um, nutrition research, weren't we? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting time. There's probably a few too many papers than we actually need out there. 
Yeah, and I, I don't think the media helps. And there's a lot of, um, I guess, there's propaganda in our industry to a degree. But what we're going to discuss today is artificial sweeteners because. There's just so much buzz at the moment about alternatives. I think there's a lot of talk about calories, a lot of talk about weight loss. But where are we at in terms of, you know, does research now suggest that they are safe to take still or are we kind of veering off them a little bit? It's a tricky question because as far as we know, safety hasn't really been pushed. What I think the problem is, we've assumed that they don't do anything in our bodies. They're inert. They just hit our taste buds and disappear like magic. And that's probably where some of the communication about sweetness has been naive and possibly not really thinking through why does a chemical taste sweet in our mouth and what's going to biological effect of that going to be? Plus, as we know more about things like gut microbiome, it's not just us that detect sweet things and associate it with chemicals, compounds, substrates, depending on what you were, sugar is a main one, um, to, that can then be used for making energy and processing and going through biological processes. But that also happens to the bacteria in our guts as well. So if you get something that triggers off these receptors, it can can have a, a sort of a cascade of biological effects and we probably haven't talked about that so in terms of safety they're not toxic you know in small amounts they probably do very little um, in terms of negative effects on our health but I think we need to be a bit more careful how we say about safe amounts of sweetener and sort of what we're actually using them for it's not a perfect fix like I don't want to eat sugar anymore I just jump straight across and replace everything with sweeteners they don't work like that in terms of culinary-wise, in terms of cooking. They don't work because some are not heat-stable, so you can't heat them up. So we need to use the right amount of sweetness in the right way and maybe look for alternatives, so sweet-tasting spices and other flavours to enhance the food so we can still enjoy it. Oh, such an in-depth answer and so precise. I, I loved the fact that you said, you know, we haven't really thought about the fact that there is a whole process when we absorb sweeteners. They're not null. They're not void of any consequence, which I think a lot of people just assume that sweeteners have no reaction and they are zero calories. So what exactly is a sweetener? To let people know what's a basic kind of description, what is it? So we'll break it down. So sweeteners will include sugar and we'll part those because they're the ones that contain energy, calories, and we know are not great for our teeth. Then we have the bulk sweeteners and they are basically sugars that are being chemically, are chemically slightly different. They've got alcohols on them. They're slightly different and they used to be the ones that were used in sugar-free chocolates and sweets because they've got the bulk in them to make the product. The problem with those is they can be a laxative um so more than 25 grams a day they, they can be problematic and if you've got some medication it used to be some of the old um progesterone only pills they could actually stop the absorption of those which could have pregnancy as a side effect um or consequence so that's a bulk sweetness you've got the sugars fortunately most of the modern contraceptives don't work that way so it's not not a problem but we tend to be careful because of the side of it and it can upset people with um irritable bowel syndrome as well because it's one of the polyols which is often sort of left out in terms of uh, fodmaps type approaches that leaves us what we call the non-nutritive sweetness or the intense sweetness the word artificial is used for most of them because they are, are are made but we have one um sort of which is a stevial or the stevial glycosides which are derived from plants they're chemically processed out of this plant from south america but that is, that is a sweetener it is a non-nutritive sweetener but the word artificial 
isn't often attached to that because of the way way it's sort of from a plant and taken out. That leaves us with the main ones are aspartame, which is two amino acids linked together. So that can be broken down in our digestive tract. So that wouldn't get to the gut bacteria. And we can talk about some of the research and why that didn't show different effects. Although that's been sort of picked up in um, other research as, as being sort of some people are, are not keen on aspartame. Then we have um, sucralose, which is a sugar which has been chemically modified so we can't absorb it. Um, then you've got the classics, things like saccharins, and then you've got sort of um, things like asulfime K because the other problem with these sweeteners and it goes from the steviol all the way to aspartame, is they don't have one clean taste all the way through the same sugar. So you've got an intense burst of sweetness, and then you might get sort of a, a salty taste afterwards or a slightly different taste. So they tend to blend them, and sort of stevia's got a licorice taste, so it only works in certain products. So there's a whole range of sweeteners, and some of them are broken down by our bodies, others are not, and that's where we see some of the, some of the possible difference in in the gut effects of them. Oh, gosh, where to start? Because I think a lot of people have heard of a few of those names. I think aspartamim, especially um, uh, stevia, for instance, is often, I think marketing comes in here as well, because the natural claim, like you've said, you know, not classifying stevia as an artificial sweetener as such. I think people kind of perceive that particular sweetener as a halo effect, you know, oh, that's the one that I must include in my product, or that makes it a better for me sweetener, which of course, we know they've all got their... um, their boundaries, their pros, their cons. You mentioned 25 grams being a kind of limit amount where we can see some unpleasant kind of side effects or interactions. Are there any guidelines that people can read? So a lot of those names, people will be like, whoa, where can they read this information? So um, the European Food Safety Agency, which yeah, I know in the UK we've left Europe, but still a lot of our, our sort of safety limits on food are, are linked to that. It will give the safe um, daily intakes and there's there's upper limits of, of daily intakes for all of these. And realistically, it's it's fairly hard to achieve them unless you're drinking a lot of diet drinks. Um, they are, there are sort of, they're, they're quite high. Um, yeah, if if people are sort of having a couple of liters of diet drinks, maybe a diet sweetened product here and there, and having diets in diet sort of sweeteners in in hot drinks, they'll get close. Um, but for most people, they're way below. And if you're talking about 25 grams, that's for the sugar alcohols or polyols. For these, we're talking sort of milligrams. They're they're tiny amounts. Um, and some of these products are 200 times or more sweetened than sugar, so we're using tiny amounts. And you know, if there's a lot of discussion about sort of food processing and having extra ingredients, if you've got a pack of sweetener, most of it won't be a sweetener, it'll be a carrier, which will be something like a starch to, to hold it in there. So the sweeteners themselves are tiny, tiny amounts that we're using. Because I think a lot of people will be thinking, what about my chewing gum? What about my, um, you know, the products now that are marketed as high protein, low carb, you know, those, all those marketing claims on these energy bars and things, and they're consuming perhaps more sweeteners than they ever did before. But what you've mentioned there is perhaps an interaction of gut health problems potentially is a small thing, but for most people, they won't notice that much of a difference. They, they won't. If you go chewing gum, that will tend to, to have... Uh, that's, a, that's, that's one of the things we can talk about. Is it contains um, xylitol, which is a sugar alcohol, which actually has a cooling effect in the mouth, which is pleasant, but also it tends to inhibit the bacterial growth. So we talk about wanting to keep the bacteria in our colon, our gut healthy, but quite often we want to stop the bacteria in our mouth because that can damage our teeth. So, um, and we probably don't focus on the microbiome, the, the bacteria in our, our mouth and how we keep that healthy enough. So 
generally it's thought that that sort of chewing gum sweetness, if it's a xylitol, may be a good thing because it stops the bacteria that can make the acid, which damages our teeth. If we're looking at some of the other ones, yeah, it's fairly min- minimal effect. And, and sort of, if you're looking at energy bars, the word energy should give you a clue. It's going to have quite a bit of calories in there. And there are health halos, and that's a different different topic. And basically, if you're trying to stick nuts together, there's two ways of doing it. You can either do it with an oil. Typically, these use coconut oil as a, as a supposedly healthier fat. Or you can use syrups. Um, and if you're using a fructose syrup, which is a, a sugar, um, we're not as good at absorbing fructose as we are glucose, because that, and then again, that can lead to the the side effects, uh, the cramping side effects that you can get if you, you consume too much uh, fructose. Most people, again, would would never get that near yeah. to that. That's what's so interesting. I think again, like you've mentioned with the fructose glucose thing, because we know there's a lot of conversations of particular scientists around the world that really have a lot to say about. Um, fructose metabolism and all sorts of areas that I think are spoken about. Um, I don't know how to word this in the right way. What are your views on refined sugar and alternatives, things that people also deem as sugar, but with different fructose glucose content? So honey or maple syrup. Um, I think you get where I'm going. (laughs) So if if we're looking at it, I think the first thing we need to be clear in is if you're eating an apple or a piece of fruit, that's going to have fructose in it. But if you're having sort of, if you're five a day, about half of them being from fruit, you're not going to be in any sort of issues with fructose. When we're talking about fructose as an added sweetener or added sugars, it's that added sugar into foods, which we really need to keep an eye on because... Once we sort of mixing, and, and I think the, the research on things like donuts are probably the best example, once we might start mixing sugars and fats together, our appetite and our, our senses can't really de- uh, distinguish between sugars and fats and we can tend to overconsume. And that's been shown in both humans and rats by the people in Washington. Um, Andrew Anowski's team, fascinating research back in the 90s. So we know we're not good at regulating that. Um, put those in drinks and you use sort of uh, fructose, glucose, corn syrups in soft drinks, not so much in the UK. That's probably th- worth mentioning. Mo- that's more sort of in, in sort of uh, traditionally in the US. We tend to just use some more sucrose in our soft drinks. Uh, not saying that that's not a problem because if we have sugar in a soft drink, it doesn't regulate our appetite. So we can have a, a sugary soft drink and still eat the same amount of food. So it doesn't downregulate the appetite. So we don't sense that energy in the same way. So if we're looking at sugars, I think it's anything that's added sugars if you're talking about honey and things like maple syrup and all those sort of things yes they have the natural label but it's still sugar and we're still adding it in as an extra so unless we're actually looking at how the product's formulated we're still going to have extra sugar in there extra calories extra thing will stick to our teeth and potentially cause damage to our teeth all those sort of issues so although it's a marginally better source it is still added sugar and we shouldn't forget that. No, exactly. And I think that raises so many questions in my head because I think a lot of people see um, sugar in a very bad light as well, especially, you know, sugar is, I've heard it referred to as all sorts of things, toxic, poison, you know, all these awful things really bad for the body. But actually, it's just absorbed as energy, isn't it? There's no, it's not the devil. It's just that it offers perhaps no extra nutritional benefit. Would that be how you describe refined sugar intake? I think if we're looking at, well, we've got added sugar, added fat as well, and those sort of things in food, we're looking at increasing the energy density or the calorie density of food. So we're getting more 
sort of calories per serving or calories per gram, but not getting extra fiber, vitamins and minerals. So not getting that nutrient density. And with the tendency to having foods with a lot of added sugar in, we're tending not they tend not to be things like vegetables or beans or lentils yeah, and yeah. those sort of nuts and seeds. Yeah. So they tend to be things that are packed together and that makes it sort of less nutrient rich. Mm but more energy rich mm. and we probably need to address that balance. So it's thinking not just about the amount of sugar we add to food, but the amount of sugar that's been added to the food that we're consuming. Um, and sort of the tip would be to look at labels and look for words ending in O's like sucrose or syrups that are high up in the list. And it's, there are simple tricks you can do to help minimize your sugar intake. Absolutely. And what you've said is, is quite right. I think a lot of the problem is not to label one food group or one food item as a problem, it's the overall diet. It's how we consume our food. It's how we consume our energy, our lifestyle. And, you know, there's a really good analogy I heard the other day that, you know, of course, if you want to eat things like rhubarb, then why not add a bit of sugar? Because it helps you consume something with that bitter type of, um, you know, initial sharp taste. So sugar does have a nice benefit as well for us to enjoy. Now, how much should we be consuming? What are the current guidelines on, um, I guess we've done sweeteners and looking a little bit into that. What about refined sugar? In terms of yeah, the wording refined sugar, added sugar, stuff you put it into food yes. rather than it actually naturally in containers and things like the apple. Yeah. But remembering this also comes up when you break things down. So if you make a puree of something to sweeten something, that will still be added sugar. We're talking around about five percent yeah. free sugars, which is about five percent of energy, which is sort of somewhere around about nine teaspoons, depending on sort of the energy requirements of an adult. And it, it sort of drops down quite considerably for children. Um and again it's and this links nicely to the sweetener thing is the question is, do we need to think of different flavors to enjoy food rather than relying on sweetness? Your example of a rhubarb is a perfect one. You can use some sugar, but why not put ginger in there and cinnamon to give a richness of flavor, which also gives some sweetness and some pleasure rather than just relying on the sugar to, yeah. to, to give it that. Oh, love! I love ginger. Oh, everything with ginger for me. Um, and then talking about I'm such a such a foodie. Obviously, I think we all are working um, in this in this industry. But talking about products that we consume that perhaps we don't realise use sweeteners. Are there any out there that are very deceptive until you do look at the back of the pack and you see these words written down? I think sort of from a research point of view, one one criticism often is things like toothpaste and medication yeah. will have to have sweeteners in, which 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 people think wouldn't think of, you know. But if you think, oh, these things taste a bit sweet, they've possibly got a sweetener in there. If you're talking about sort of foods, yeah, it could be things like sauces that can have a bit of sweetness in there to balance the flavour. You know, historically they've had sugars in them as well, rather than relying on sort of the sugar and sort of like a um, a ragu, a tomato-based sauce. It might have a bit of sweetener added in there. You know, there are sort of the savoury foods might have the sweetener, and you'd expect it in like a a sweetened yogurt or you'd mm, expect it in mm. a, a sweetened drink. But yeah, you, know, you might get a little bit of sweetener in things like crisps, even. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Depending on the type of flavour it is. Yeah, no, you do. You do have sweetener and crisps. That's such a good point. Um, I love a sweet chilli crisp with the, the key is in the name, I suppose. Um, yeah, Thai <laughs> sweet chilli. Love, I love those. But yeah, there's probably a lot of sugar and sweetener in those as well when you think about it. Um, mm. Talking of people with digestive concerns listening, you know, we've mentioned already it might not be so great for you to have sweeteners. It might be a tiny trigger. Should people with digestive issues like an, like IBS, for instance, consider just looking at reducing it? Do you think there's a need for them to say, hang on a minute, let me look at my diet. Let me just reduce this a bit. 
I think we probably need to be fair to if anyone with digestive issues, it's worth getting it properly picked out. So we, we're getting the, the serious things ruled out and managed first. You know, if you need to, you know, if you've got celiac disease, getting that diagnosed properly. And then you know, you're looking at sort of those symptoms, which are what medics will call a functional disease. So there's no underlying biological cause which needs sorting mm. and it's just discomfort or mm. you know, not just discomfort because it can be very debilitating and sometimes it could be the sweetener itself but often we find with those issues it can be some of the other things that are with it some of these not normal starches but these carbohydrates which can be fermented in funny ways which can lead to bloating mm. so by keeping an eye out for the sweetener they might actually identify the other things which could be the problems we've mentioned the polyols but we get things like fructans and different things which are uh, these interesting things which normally in the gut are healthy and bacteria can ferment it and it actually lowers our risk of bowel problems mm. but when people are struggling with that um, it can be an idea to keep an eye out for some of these modified products which can be fermented in different ways yeah so really it's about the fermentation and what happens inside our gut for i guess the question is do they impact the gut microbiome and we've said well yes they, they potentially do we just perhaps don't have enough research yet to the extent is that, that be how you describe it yeah and in term, terms of the sweeteners themselves the the concerns been raised by a group in israel um and to point some some of the work coming out of um the Zoe group mm. as well is that the sweeteners are not broken down so that's really sucralose and saccharin the main ones tend to alter how the bacteria work and the bacteria in our gut then signal to us and that may have an effect on how the body to a very small extent in humans um, metabolizes glucose yeah. in rats when they've done it it has a bigger effect but it's easy to get a bigger effect on and sort of um, push a rat towards equivalent type 2 diabetes in a human so it's a very modest effect and you need sort of quite a significant dose of it to have an effect and, but there's a very modest effect but you've got to weigh that against that if you're having a range of sweeteners in your diet if you're reducing your sugar intake it's helping you to manage weight and we probably need to talk about the evidence on weight management yeah. and sweetness Um it is it sort of it balances out in the, so I wouldn't worry people if they find that a little bit of sweetness from a sweetener is helping them to eat a much healthier diet mm. what it might be doing to one or two bacteria in the colon it's really if they're using a lot of sweeteners as part of a diet which has got a lot of soft drinks in there not a lot of vegetables you know the whole dietary pattern thing which you touched on earlier that's probably where it needs changing but it's a looking at the dietary pattern rather than just trying to pick out the sweeteners on their own absolutely and um I really liked what you said there as well. Please always get checked by a health professional before you make any drastic changes to your diet or don't self-diagnose, that sort of thing. There's a lot of test kits out there that are pseudoscientific at the moment. So a big warning to anyone listening. And you've mentioned weight management, of course. And I think a lot of people associate sweeteners with um, weight loss because often they are in weight loss products or um, they're used as a tool for weight loss. What evidence do we have at the moment with regarding to brain responses, cravings, um, how successful they are when it comes to weight management. This is an interesting one because the World Health Organization recently put out a draft, the consultation is closed now, um, looking at a review that they did, looking at the effect of these non-nutritive sweeteners on weight management. And their conclusion, they have no net effect. Mm. doesn't mean it won't help individuals mm. but in terms of whole studies it depends on you know there are studies that suggest if you replace a regular soft drink or water with a diet soft drink people may uh, be more successful in the weight management program 
could that be the effect of the soft drink or could it be that you've got something nice to look forward to as part of this, mm. this challenge of managing weight? Because we've got to remember losing weight is not easy. Um, in terms of the sweetness, the evidence is, is not really there that sort of having sweet flavors will drive you to eat more overall in studies. But there are individuals that once they taste that sweetness, they want to ha- feel they need to eat something else. Um, so it doesn't. So the the research may not represent the individual lived experience. So my advice, sort of talking about sort of sweeteners, if you're trying to manage weight, is actually let's have a look at what you're eating. What do you feel you can change? What sort of pleasures do you still need in what you're eating and drinking and let's work it out for you rather than saying sweetness should be a wholesale swap or not you Mm -hmm. know the way to look at them they're a stepping stone Mm -hmm. on helping people to change their lifestyle to reduce their sugar intake to to hopefully have a healthier dietary pattern yeah i agree because i think there's, there's a big danger online where a lot of people sadly are taking nutrition advice from the fitness industry or a lot of there's a lot of kind of echo chambers in the social media world where a lot of personal trainers, for instance, are saying, oh, I live every day on my sweeteners. I live on a low calorie this and this is what I do. And this is how you maintain a good weight. And it's not the case. Like you said, they're a tool to help you get somewhere you need to be. And they shouldn't be seen as a complete, um, perhaps part of your life forever, potentially. I think it's quite a nice way of looking at it, the way you describe them. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner 3 days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And, and I think one of the, the the risks of going down replace everything with sweeteners route is that you're not re-educating your mind so you're getting trust in your mm. own food choices mm. and i think one of the issues when we're looking about encouraging people to change what they eat or change their diet is you switch from this way to that way rather than thinking what do i actually enjoy eating what can i eat that when i've had a certain amount a sensible portion of it, i can be happy i've enjoyed yeah. that yeah. And actually learn to actually enjoy food yeah. rather than what we can get with people who are finding it really hard, struggling with their food choices, you know, having a long lived experience of living in a higher body weight is how do you actually start enjoying food again? How do you make ch- food choices that are not just healthy, but pleasant for you? Mm. And sort of a wholesale switch might seem a simple fix, but you're thinking, right, what can I explore? What can I do? Yeah. What can I be in control of? 
Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of psychology as well when it comes to I mean nutrition and psychology work hand in hand. It's something and we always discuss on this podcast that that's for sure. There's such a wider picture involved when we talk about health choices. It's definitely not black and white. And there's been a lot of research as well suggesting that, you know, metabolic health, potentially weight, like you've said, is linked. But also last year on heart disease. And I was wondering if you could delve further into this for us and any changes. There the, were the two studies, one was heart disease and the one linking to certain cancers as well. And and looking at those sort of things, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Mm. But there's been a big study looking in France. It's a Nutrinet Sante, which is over 100,000 people that have been followed for for best part of 10 years. And it was an online survey. If you look at the data, it's some predominantly female cohort they're younger more educated and their consumption of sweetness was generally low so it's slightly skewed in one way in terms of a population the other thing is if you actually look at it when you do these sort of analysis you try and reduce confounding to the background noise and those who consume more sweeteners also tended to consume more sugary drinks <laughs> they tend to have a less healthy dietary pattern so is it the sweetness themselves that are the problem leading to the risk? From that sort of study, we don't know. Mm. It's just one risk is associated with what happened, um, you know, sort of several years ago. This study is slightly better that they did take several food um, diaries. Um, they actually tried to pick apart sweetness, which they typically, particularly in the UK, but to point across Europe, you tend not to have a spartame on its own. It tends to be mixed with acetyl sulfime K because that gives a better flavour blend. Yes. So they tried to take them apart, which didn't quite make sense in terms of, of how that happens. Mm. They used really quite good methods, but still it was imperfect. Um, so if you look at it overall, was it people who had a slightly worse dietary pattern who happened to consume sweeteners? And if you think where sweeteners are in, they tend to be in sort of the convenience type foods. Yes. So... If you're looking at a picture, is it the sweetener or is it the foods that contain the sweetener? And <laughs> if you're being honest, there's probably not many foods that contain sweeteners. We would encourage people to eat more of yeah. if we want to try and get them to enjoy a healthier diet. Yeah, no, it's always the way when you break the research down. Um, and that's the problem, I guess, when these sorts of studies get picked up in mainstream media. Sometimes you don't get that detail. You don't get the context, no nuance. It's just um, a black and white headline and people take it as gospel. Uh, but it's interesting. Of course, it's a watch this space. I think more and more research, as we said before, needs to happen in this area. Now, we have questions from our listeners for you, Dwayne. Um, and I'm just having a look at ones that I can pick out that we haven't already discussed. I think... Um, we can delve into this a little bit more. So I don't know how to pronounce your name. Is it Am Amelia? Amaya? It's a beautiful name. Amelia. I'll go with Amaya. I think Amaya's Amaya is the right um, pronunciation, I hope. So sorry in advance. Um, are natural sweeteners like stevia much better for you than other ones on the market? So, you know, you said it's not technically an artificial sweetener. We don't have a lot of evidence. There are some studies that suggest it might have some beneficial effects but this happens to a lot of these sweeteners mm. so so they might stimulate one receptor which has an effect on you know the gut hormones which actually sort of support insulin metabolism yeah we've seen that a few times mm. um but that's because that's triggered by sugar anyway which we won't go into it's sort yeah. of it is it, sort of a complicated feedback loop that, that's set up but 
the problem with stevia is we don't know if it's absorbed. It, the, the intake, particularly in the, the British food market, because of this licorice type of uh, uh, flavouring, is less than in some of the European markets because of our preferences. Mm. Um, so we don't know is, is probably the answer. Possibly, but we don't know. Okay. But we, do, if, yeah, the use of it in the, the, the UK food um profile is less than in other countries yeah no it's, it's, it's interesting it's definitely interesting i suppose you would prefer i guess if you're looking for something a sweetener most people would lean towards towards that as a choice um catherine has said i've started getting more headaches since using sweeteners now obviously is there a correlation i'll just reiterate catherine before we answer of course we can't offer bespoke advice on the podcast but perhaps Dwayne, you can point her in the right direction for this sort of thing um, there are a number of people that say they do get symptoms from change to sweetener intake, whether that's causal, um, sort of where I did my PhD in whole, they, they actually took people who said they were sensitive to spartame and I have developed the, the bar that they use, although I wasn't involved in the study and they found that it didn't have a metabolic effect and it didn't have a difference in terms of symptoms from mm. the, the, it was a, it was a, it was a snack bar, one with a spartame, one without, and, and they didn't have difference in symptoms. So when we've tried to do that sort of study, it hasn't shown effect. Um, again, you know, if, if people are sort of changing other aspects of the lifestyle, which could, a sort of um, effect or that their chance of having headaches sort of seating position all those sort of things you know it's, it's sort of looking after yourself and sort of if it's persistent um, it's always worth getting these things checked out yeah absolutely absolutely and I guess a good question here to kind of finish on listener questions is from Cam oh everyone's going to want to know this are fizzy drinks worse because of the artificial sweeteners or should I just go for the full fat option with all the sugar I, th- I think I've got to say the boring answer is water is always going to be best. Water's the winner. Um, tap water is even best because you haven't got the sustainability issue of um, using lorries to transport bottles of water that can come through a tap. Probably not going to make myself popular with some water producers, uh, but um, that's the truth. If we're talking about um, the diet soft drinks, because in the UK, the other thing, we only have a very few full sugar soft drinks now because of the soft drinks entry mm. levy, which um, puts a taxation on the producer or the bottler, who then they choose to pass it on to the consumer. That's just that's just the way the law's put in phrase because everyone thinks it's made things more expensive, but it shouldn't have done it. It's the way it, it's, it's in the system. So it's only really, we have Coca-Cola and Pepsi regular, which are about 11 grams of sugar per 100 mils, most around about the four or five grams. It's still quite a lot of sugar if you're drinking a full can or a large yeah. bottle. The ones with just sweetness, so the diet ones, are they better? Yes, they'll have less energy in them, but we've also got to remember they're also going to have typically acids in them, mm. which can actually damage our teeth, um, and we need to bear that in mind. And if we're, you know, yeah, we probably are better off sort of drinking water in between meals because we don't want to have the acid which is naturally produced after we eat a meal and then back that up by giving more acid by having a, a sugary drink, sorry, a sugary or even diet soft drink in between meals because that's going to further potentially erode the enamel on our teeth. So if we're talking about, yes, it's better, but it's still not mm. best. Well, we could do a whole podcast on um sugar sweetened beverages couldn't we um in itself i think to be honest uh, it's been quite a global discussion as well and of course the sad reality is we're seeing more and more youngsters consuming a lot more of these products now as well so i wonder um, i mean a question i would ask you is do you think there's a difference in i guess the maturity of a 
child's microbiome or gut or um, health as a consequence of having these drinks younger than starting consuming them, you know, midlife? Do you, do you think it's more damaging? Uh, we, we probably don't have the answer, but I think the risk is possibly more mm. based on if it's part of a limited food intake. So if you're having a wide variety of foods, which include, you know, variety sorts of fibers, fruits, vegetables, beans, peas, lentils, and those sort of things, nuts and seeds, as appropriate for the child's sort of ability to swallow things safely, you know, don't want choking risks and things like that with nuts. Um, but having that spread and variety of food, some, these will probably melt into the background and not be important. And then if you're looking at, is it actually a risk? Well, is the risk of just having this these sort of diets of drinks and a very limited diet, is it actually that representing a very limited, not really high healthy dietary pattern that's actually the problem? And the sweeteners are just a marker of it and, and possibly adding a little bit to it. Yeah. Possibly the case. We yeah. don't know. Generally, um, guidelines don't recommend um, non-nutritious sweetness to children and try and encourage a wide variety of foods instead. So we don't fully know, but... I'd encourage a variety of foods, not just to rely on that. And sort of main drink, particularly for young children, is sort of water, sort of milk, because of the the the, the beneficial effects on on teeth and sort of minimising that 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 sugar as well. So that yeah, they start to grow with healthier teeth. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I, I saw a scary stat the other day. I'm, I'm not going to say because I can't remember if it's the exact figure, but there's an alarming amount of children with tooth decay now than ever before rising again. And you do question: is it the modern diet? Is it you know? There's so, there's obviously probably is but like you said we don't really know but do try and avoid giving your youngsters um these types of items anyway i've had my question thank you Dwayne. i had to ask while i had you had your expertise on the podcast um right the fact or fiction round are you ready yes okay if you could answer fact or fiction to the following sweeteners are better for our oral health than sugar that's a fact. Agave sugar is good for us. Not if you can cope with fructose, so I'd say not true. Fiction. Remind me, we're going to have to delve into that before we finish this podcast. Um, if you are pregnant, you can't have sweeteners. There is one study suggesting sweeteners can affect their birth weight. I'd say moderate so it's neither really so it's, it's, it's we're gonna keep keep the sweet intake low which i think is the stepping stone approach yeah no it's, it's good it's good artificial sweeteners change your taste buds that's not true that's false sweeteners do not increase blood sugar levels some people say it has a response with diabetes. I've seen that, in, um, and there's there's a whole range of sweeteners, and and glycerol is an interesting one in particular, which is used in sugar-free slushes, which we haven't talked about at all because no. that's a completely different answer. So generally not. So generally not for the artificial ones. Yeah, fascinating. Too much sweetener can have a laxative effect. If it's the polyols, which we talked about earlier, yes. But for most of the sort of intense sweeteners and non-nutritive ones, it's unlikely. Natural sweeteners are more beneficial than artificial sweetener ones. We can't say that. We don't know. Sugar will make you gain weight. If it's additional 
to what you're eating, yes. Um, if you're only eating a teaspoon of sugar a day and that's your only intake, definitely not. Sugar and sweeteners are addictive. They are a learned pleasure behavior rather than a true um, narcotic type addiction. So we can feel the desire to want them and we can learn that. So we may need to challenge ourselves to unlearn that. So not quite a true addiction, but some people find them something that they're drawn to. Amazing. Thank you so much. Brilliant fact of fiction round. And it's given me a few extra, sorry, a little few extra add-on questions just very quickly <laughs> that I feel that we have to get in there on the podcast. Um, the first one you mentioned, people that struggle with fructose, um, of course, and agave syrup we should mention is very high in fructose and very low in glucose compared to honey as an alternative, um, you know, sugar. Yeah. So the the fructose is again, it's due to the, how it's, it, the transports that help us absorb it, that's rate limited. So, you know, too much fructose can, and some people with irritable bowel syndrome, lead to the uh, the malfermentation because we can't absorb it. So it gets down to the bacteria. If they've got more sugar, they're going to make more gas. And that's a problem. Um, the other issue with too much fructose is the way it's metabolized because mm. the glucose goes through sort of insulin and, and whereas the to, 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 to then either stores glycogen or if it's excess go to fat synthesis fructose can bypass in straight into the fat synthesis in the liver to mm. a certain extent it's not really seen in a lot of human studies that um, you can get a fatty liver from fructose but you can do in animal models so that's why there's a bit of caution about too much fructose and I say you know, if you're going for sort of fructose it's probably best to have it in plant form rather than taking out and putting it into a syrup yeah no exactly and I have to say um We've got some wonderful gut health dietitians in the nutrition clinic and they'd never recommend consuming probably for the majority that particular um, syrup uh, just for those for those types of reasons. Um, we mentioned blood sugar levels and I think we should touch on this because there's so much talk out there at the moment about blood sugar monitors and everybody wearing these. And there's a lot of pseudoscience as well on the internet with people hailing that everyone should follow a certain type of diet. And we mentioned that some... Uh, sweeteners do cause a response, which I think a lot of people don't realise. It, for people who are not living with diabetes, it's quite a modest response. And our glucose does vary quite a bit. You can, after a meal and with certain types of exercise, if you don't have, you're not living with diabetes, you can get certain spikes in glucose and that's fairly normal. Um, in terms of glucose sensors, for someone who doesn't have diabetes and is not going to change an insulin dose based on it, they have questionable use. There's very limited evidence. There's a lot of marketing, a lot of push about fueling for sport. You know, if you're fueling sport, it's the actual carbohydrate, the, gly the glycogen, which is from the sugar, actually locked in the muscle you're going to need. Variations in blood sugar may have a modest effect on fatigue. You know, it's a big marketing thing, but the evidence is not there. And there are claims there which possibly at least stretch uh, advertising guidelines, shall we say, if not break them. Um, in terms of sweetness, yeah, it's a modest effect, but it is a very minor effect. Um, and I say, if you're looking at using sweeteners as a stepping stone to reduce sugar intake, rather than actually a, a wholesale replacement, it shouldn't be a problem for most people. Thank you. Thank you. And the final thing I think to wrap up on is the message of sugar addiction. I, want, I know we've discussed this once before, but I just really want to hammer it home to people because... 
you will read everyone listening so many things on the internet when it comes to nutrition. You know, everyone eats, therefore everyone potentially thinks they're an expert in it and perhaps you're an expert in your own body, but it doesn't mean that things you read online that are quite scaremongering are always true. And a lot of scaremongering that I see a lot is that sugar is addictive. You know, it really, you have to go cold turkey and go, you know, it's not good for us. Could you touch a little bit more into, you said it's a learned behavior, just so people understand it's more psychological perhaps or a different pathway? It's, it's it will, Well, if you put people in these functional MRI scans, you can flash up the pleasure center of the brain in the same way it does with certain drugs. That's not, we can't dispute that. Mm. But sweetness is a pleasurable sensation. It's a, it's ingrained in our biology that we can detect sweetness because that's mm. a source of calories because historically that's what we needed to do to survive. Yeah along with saltiness. We need salt and energy to survive. That's quite a simple one. So if you look at it that way, it may look like a narcotic addiction, but there's not the same drivers to, to, to actually consume drugs as there is with sugar. Whether the cold turkey thing, and you must go cold turkey, it's a very individual thing. Some people benefit from being very restrictive mm. and can live that way and be happy that mm. way. Other people I know and sort of done quite a lot of work with things like chocolate and research and things like that mm. is that having that small amount of chocolate as that sweet flavor thing they can slowly enjoy mm. in a few minutes when they start their day can be a way of controlling it. So it's actually sitting down and listening to how you regulate your behaviors, how you can actually still enjoy things because, you know, you need pleasure in food. Mm. We need to share food in a way that's pleasurable and enjoy it is a little bit more complicated. So I'm not going to deny that some people stopping sugar is a way that works for them, but it's not a wholesale solution. Mm. It's actually looking at how you can regain control and enjoyment of how you choose the foods you want to eat. Yeah. Thank and that can vary from person to person. Thank you. Yes, because we've we have had a, a particular guest before on the podcast that's been adamant that food can be an addiction, and it's very interesting to hear the different different viewpoints that that people have. And I think you I think you're right in saying that everyone's different. We're all completely unique how we perceive things, how we thrive off the food that we consume, and. I guess that does lead me to a lovely natural conclusion to today's episode. And obviously, we've only skimmed the surface. We could go in so much more depth um, on these topics, but we always finish and we wrap up with a food for thought. So mine today would be, I love what Dwayne just finished on, the fact that we are all unique. You know, I personally, I don't normally share my food choices, but I do love chocolate in the morning. It's something I've always loved. And perhaps that's because that's how I... I thrive. I just, yeah, I can't get enough of the chocolate when I start my day, <laughs> probably the sleepless nights as well. But um, what I would add is that, you know, sweeteners get a bad rep, sugar gets a bad rep. Lots of foods are often critiqued in immense depth when it comes to scientific research. And I think sometimes it's so important to listen to conversations like this. Just tap in, put your detective hat on gather as much information as you all can listening and then try and apply what you can and what you understand to you. Um, choosing foods that perhaps are a bit lower in sugar can be helpful. We know that most of the population do overconsume sugar just as they do salt. Um, but ultimately you need to enjoy life. And I personally think sometimes a little bit of what you enjoy can help you thrive but um it, it's obviously getting that balance for you Dwayne that was a very waffled food for thought from me what would your take home be for the listeners 
I think when we talk about diet, we often think about restriction and not enjoying it. And we need to find ways of enjoying food. And I encourage people to try different ways of enjoying food, be that through trying to make the vegetable the center of a dish, maybe may that be a soup, um, and then looking for things like spices and herbs to really give a punch of flavor through rather than relying on things like salt and sugar. I love that. And equally, we know now, of course, there's more talk about plant points and having all this diversity of food is very beneficial for us. So actually, the more you can cook with different herbs and spices, is it's only a good thing the more you can add in, isn't it, at the end of the day? But focus on flavour rather than trying to hunt for benefits. Brilliant. Yes. All about the flavour. All about the flavour. Thank you, Dwayne. Let's bring it back to food is food. Now, where can our listeners go to find out more about yourself or the research you're doing? So the researcher, it'll be on sort of my university website, which, you know, I think, you know, if you just put my name in, I'm fairly, there's only a few Dwayne Mellors in the world. It'll come up very quickly on Google um, as the research I'm up to and sort of fairly active on social media and LinkedIn as well. So there's there's always bits and pieces I'm popping on there, challenging people to think that it may not just be about food. There are other issues. You know, we're currently living in a cost of living crisis. A lot of things are blamed on foods actually are down to people not having enough money. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to see the bigger picture and it is a very, um, yeah, very tough time. So I really hope that our podcast can help everyone listening to give you some nuggets of information. And Dwayne, thank you so much for coming on Feed for Thought. Thank you for the invitation. If you're enjoying Food for Thought, hope so, (laughs) you'll love the upcoming episodes. So if you don't already, please subscribe. Make sure that you click to be the first to hear it each Monday. There's a lot of podcasts out there now, and I really hope that we're maintaining the ultimate research and the ultimate guest to make sure that you're getting the best experience possible. So if you're having a good time and you're learning lots, please do leave a review if you can, so we can reach those higher highs in the charts and ultimately get to reach more people. That's what it's all about. And for more information about my best-selling books, the science of nutrition, of course, uh, deliciously healthy pregnancy, the Retrition Clinic, recipes, so much more, just head over to retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on all social media platforms, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. 